This is an RNZ podcast. This report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is a litany of broken climate promises. It is a file of shame, cataloging the empty pledges that put us firmly on track towards an unlivable world. That's UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres sounding the alarm about the climate emergency. His statement accompanied the release of the latest IPCC report, which urges government to enact a host of policy interventions in response to that global threat. As we've said before on Media Watch, those include making major reforms to the fastest-growing source of emissions, transport. It recommends building high-density housing near jobs and public transport and investing in walking and cycling. That creates a challenge for governments used to coasting by on a car-centric status quo. But it also opens up potential lines of inquiry for the media. If our governments have put us on a path toward an unlivable world, shouldn't we be pushing them to divert us to a different route? In other words, where is that high-density housing? Why aren't there enough bike lanes? Why aren't we doing enough to, in the words of one of Stuff's old climate change campaigns, save the planet? Some reporters have taken that tack, notably Mark Dalder at Newsroom or the Forever Project at Stuff. But it's not exactly the normal angle. Instead, despite our news company's almost universal insistence they're taking climate change seriously, potential climate action is often covered like this. Auckland Council is drawing up a radical plan to remove parking on many of the city's roads. Auckland Mayor Phil Goff has put the brakes on radical proposals and a new parking strategy to remove Auckland Council has responded to Labour and National's radical plan for greater intensification. Auckland Council is ratcheting up its opposition to Labour and National's radical plans for greater intensification. That's the Herald writing variously about plans to allow three-storey housing or remove parking on 3.5% of Auckland's roads over a decade. But what's arguably more radical is watching an unfurling global catastrophe and refusing to make significant changes as a result. This week, one major media outlet adjusted its editorial line to reflect that reality. On Monday, almost the entire front page of the Dominion Post was covered with an image of a woman on a bike and the following headline. We need to change to protect our planet. The only question is how. Anna Fifield, the Dominion Post's editor, is driving that editorial direction as part of a campaign called Mode Shift. She spoke to me about why she's taken that stand and whether we in the media have too often had our heads buried in the sand on climate. Kia ora, Anna, and welcome to Media Watch. Kia ora, Hayden. It's great to be back. So what motivated the Mode Shift campaign? Was it something personal for you? I guess it's personal and professional. And in fact, one of the most surprising things uh, about this job that I have as the Wellington editor for stuff is just how um, polarizing and political and controversial it is to suggest that some people might sometimes want to ride a bike. Uh, The kind of amount of mail and comments I get about coverage about bike lanes uh, and buses and things like this has been a real surprise and how vitriolic it often is. And so I've just been thinking about what can we as the media outlet in the capital city be doing to support this conversation and to facilitate this conversation and to add to it in some way. So I thought that given that Let's Get Wellington Moving is um, nearing a decision and there's a lot, you know, we're in the lead up to the local government elections, I thought that maybe we could contribute to the public discussion on this by looking at all different modes of transport around the capital region and how we we could do things better. Why was it important to you to say 
we need to actually build this kind of stuff. We need to have bike lanes and public transport and all that sort of stuff. I mean, a big part of it is uh, climate change. Uh, We've heard so many times from the IPCC and from scientists around the world that, you know, the window for action is is closing very rapidly if we are to um, stop climate change in its tracks and stop it from getting to 1.5%. And in the capital region, transport accounts for 50% of the climate emissions. Um, And so that's some a place where we can really move the dial if we take action to reduce the carbon we're emitting through transport and how we get around. But also the personal part of it is probably the fact that I love to bike around. I biked in Washington, D.C. I biked everywhere in Tokyo, including up the steep hill to my house. I biked all around Beijing when I was there. And so um, coming home, it feels, yeah, I wanted to bike in Wellington as well, but it feels a bit dangerous in some places. There are some very narrow places where there's barely enough room for uh, cars to drive. And so, yeah, when I'm biking along there, it doesn't feel great. And so I'm, I'm a bit of a kamikaze cyclist, I have to confess. So I just bike anyway, but I think that we should be making the roads safe so that kids and families and, and maybe people who are nervous, anybody who wants to bike or walk or go on a scooter should be able to do so. Given what you said about what the IPCC has said about how we need to change transport and uh, intensify our housing around public transit and close to jobs, that kind of stuff, it's surprising how unusual this sort of stance is. Have you felt like we in the media in general have been almost like maintaining a suspension of disbelief about the implications of climate change? We have not got our heads around the fact that, as your front page says, we have to change to protect the planet. Yeah, I think um, I think we have got our heads around this, but there is, I think, you know, as I look at our coverage and the reaction and things over the past year or so, that we have given a lot of space to the businesses. I mean, the catalyst for this for me was the businesses who keep saying bike lanes are bad for business. And I understand that they are concerned. I understand that change is really hard. And we've seen in cities around the world, like in New York, when they pedestrianized Times Square, the theaters said this will be the death of us. In fact, it's been fantastic for them and has created this huge pedestrianized area in the center of Manhattan there. So I get that change is hard, um, but I wanted to be able to support that by using the research. So we, of course, went and spoke to the um, uh, to the businesses in Newtown who were concerned about that. But we also spoke to the researchers who showed us the hard statistics and data on the fact that uh, bike lanes actually increase the number of people going past businesses, the number of people stopping. It's actually a net positive for business. So I think the role that we as the media can play is injecting some of those facts and statistics into the debate. So if, if we look at how stuff has changed its reporting on climate change, we have said that we accept that climate change is a given and we give very little to no space to climate change deniers. And so we frame our reporting in that way. And I'm applying a similar lens now to our coverage of transport in the Wellington region. Of course, we will continue to be balanced and fair and be a forum for all sorts of voices, but we are saying climate change is a given. Uh, public transport is the biggest source of our transport is the biggest sort of source of our emissions. Therefore, we need to act and we will uh, frame our coverage around that. 
Yeah, it's really interesting to see a media organisation take that stance because I think that first step has been taken by most media. Climate change is a given. We accept that it's a scientific fact. But then why is there such a cavernous gulf between accepting that fact and the actual coverage of climate action, which is often framed in the most negative possible ch- terms? We have a cross-armed NIMBY opposing a dense house near the city centre. It's a trope. Why is there such a cavernous gulf there? And do we need to change our mindset and get our heads around what climate change actually means in terms of the way we live? Yeah, I think it's about the fact that the people who oppose these things, whether it is denser housing or whether it is multimodal transport systems, you know, they're often often the same people, uh, but it's a relatively small but noisy minority of people. And so, of course, their voices crowd out others or rise to the top there. And so their voices, I think, have been disproportionately reflected in the media coverage. It's much harder to go out there and find people who are happy because they're not talking about it so much or they're not um, not so public or so vociferous in their response. But so that's the thing that we are doing. The change that we've made in the Wellington newsroom here is that we are actively going out and trying to find the middle, um, you know, the people who are happy, uh, who support change and to give them a voice too. And that's a matter of time and resourcing. Um, and I have now devoted, you know, our time and our resource to that. I've identified that as a priority. Those perspectives that we talked about, they are represented, but are we ignoring other perspectives? For instance, children who want to who want to grow up in a livable world, you know, maybe poorer people who can't afford housing that maybe want to have dense affordable housing. Those perspectives can't reach us as much in the media, can they? They don't have business associations and PR releases and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So that's why it's incumbent on us as media professionals to go out there and to find those voices. And so as part of this mode shift campaign we are running, we are going to have those voices. We have been out um, with Pedal Ready, who is is an organisation in Wellington that teaches kids to uh, road safety. My son says to me, adore a bit more. Uh, So he's learned that at school. So um, that's, you know, the rule for where I should bike away from cars so I don't get hit by um, people opening their doors. So I think that kind of education and giving kids the skills and the confidence to use roads is really important. And we're going to be covering that um, in our series as the month goes on. But also you raise the issue of equity. Uh, And the simple fact is, yeah, the e-bikes, which are quite important in Wellington, um, in hilly old Wellington, are really, really expensive. And so we will be looking at that and how we can make access to other forms of transport more equitable. So there are some really great organizations like ReBicycle and Bicycle Box here in the Wellington region that are um, fixing up bikes and giving them to kids and people who might not otherwise be able to afford them. So I think that's a really important component of this discussion too. Now, you mentioned going out and finding happy people. That's kind of one of the problems for us in the media, right? That that happy doesn't exactly sell well. And we do have news values for a reason, and they often skew towards the negative and they prioritise conflict. And that's because that's generally what people want to read. Now, that means that we often get the, un- the unhappy people about bike lanes in the, at the top of our stories. But are we missing a trick here? Is there a potential conflict that we are not prioritising? And that's 
where are these bike lanes? We have an opportunity to save the planet. Why isn't the government doing enough? Why isn't there enough dense housing? Is that point of conflict neglected by us? No, I don't think it's neglected by us. I think we've had lots of coverage of that um, and of from all angles, from the Yimbies to the NIMBYs and the people, yeah, crossing their arms in front of them, um, appearing in our media. So, no, I think that's been pretty well covered but it is um and i actually don't agree with your point about people want to read about conflict i think people actually want to read about positive change too and want to see progress want to um think about how we could do things better and a big part of the series that we're doing is looking at other cities around the world that in countries too that have made changes so for example we ran a big story about luxembourg which made all of its public transport free uh, and looked at that and we talked about whether you know free public transport was a thing or whether it should continue being half price so i think there are lots of lessons to be learned and a really important role that we in the media can play at contributing to that discussion and create facilitating a really constructive public discussion about ways to do better on public transport. It doesn't all have to be um, people with crossed arms opposing any kind of change. How has the response been to your kind of positive and constructive angle on this? Oh, it's been fantastic. I've been really heartened to see um, lots of people out there on Twitter and in my email inbox and things have said that it's really refreshing to see this kind of coverage, I guess, and some, um, you know, discussion of how we can change for the better and and do better um, here. Of course, there are also, I've had some letters to the editor from people talking about how they are um, uh, too old or infirm or whatever to to ride a bike or a scooter or walk everywhere or complaining about the bus services. Um, And that's a completely valid point of view. But the point I've been trying to make and, and the point I made in the note introducing this series was that we're not saying everybody needs to ride a bike or jump on an electric scooter or something like that. We are saying that our cities should be built in such a way that everybody who wants to ride a bike or walk on a um, footpath that's not littered with scooters should be able to do some. So there will always be a need for cars. I drive a car on occasion. Um, You know, we're we're talking about facilitating choice so that people can make the choice about which mode of transport they want to take on a particular day. Now, no matter how you do this, there will be those people that don't want to do this stuff, no matter what the science says. And those perspectives, as you say, are valid. But what should the media do about that? Is it your job to follow public opinion or to lead it? I think it's neither. Um, I think it's our job to, you know, to be a kind of town hall for the public, um, to facilitate that kind of discussion and to bring in all the facts and all the examples and many points of view so that there can be a robust and comprehensive discussion about these issues. Um, It's not for us to lead the debate really, but to present all of these facts and let people make up their own minds. Uh, It's also not our job to follow it. I think that, you know, while there'll always be reaction and we'll be quoting people who are saying things proactively, um, I think that we can kind of, contribute by by including all of these points of view and, and showing different ways. So I really do think that we are a town hall in our in our area for this kind of discussion. 
While you say that you are a town hall, you obviously feel that a portion of the town hall is more connected to the science, more connected to what climate scientists are saying about how we need to change and what the world needs to look like. So you have taken a view about which side of that town hall is actually more grounded in reality. Yes, I think we have. Um, I mean, because the climate change science is really clear and the warnings have become increasingly um, uh, ominous in terms of the existential challenge our planet faces. Um, But also the statistics show... I mean, I've looked at transport because we're an urban capital region. Um, Agriculture is not a big concern in the Wellington region, but transport is. So I think that our our coverage can be led by the science there. Um, And again, by these international examples. And it's really kind of striking to hear, like even in the Netherlands, in the 1970s, people were opposed to bike lanes. Um, And now look at it. So I think it is that old idea that change can be hard. It's easier if you're an elected politician just to hunker down and to stick with the status quo. Um, But through this series, we're saying, you know, the status quo is not good enough. The status quo got us to this. And we need to think about how we change not whether we change, how we change. Would you recommend this sort of stance to other media? Get with the program, guys. The status quo is not going to work. Yeah, the status quo is not going to work, but I think I think it doesn't need to be about this issue. I really do think that this is our job in the media to not just stick to the same old tropes and things, but to look at how what we can do to facilitate that kind of broader public debate and not just yeah lean back on the old hackneyed kind of um, positions and and not just listen to the loudest voices, but to go out there and make lots of effort to to make sure everybody has a voice. Hey, thanks so much for joining me, Anna. Thanks. Thanks for having me back, Hayden.